0: A very warm welcome to The Early Retirement Show, the show dedicated to helping you navigate the nuances of an early retirement, a non-traditional retirement. Now let's get right into the episode so we can learn how to retire early. Welcome back to the Early Retirement Show. Today we have a fun one. We are talking about the S&P 500. Well, to be honest, I think they're all fun episodes and I hope they are for you. What we are talking about today is the S&P 500 and the reason that I'm excited to talk about it is because it is a question that I am often asked and It's one of those things that sometimes people will read an article and just say, hey, Ari, shouldn't I just be invested in the S&P 500? Isn't that just easier? Or you know what? Sometimes I'll get it on the other side where it's, Ari, I heard the S&P 500 just doesn't diversify my portfolio enough. What should I be invested in? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, before we get into it, what I have to say is I'm truly honored, and what I mean by that is... I received so many messages when it comes to my health because last week I did not feel the best. I was recording the podcast because I love doing it every week and I wanted to be consistent. So you guys always know, hey, every Monday you know an episode is being released. And if you get to it on Thursday or Friday or Saturday or whenever you get to it, whether it's through a commute, or you say, hey, while I'm working out, and if you can digest this while you're working out, then kudos to you. Um, but what I mean to say is really, I'm touched. So thank you for all the messages from listeners who have gone to my website, um, earlyretirementpodcast.com, and they let me know, they submitted a question just saying, hey, hope you're feeling better, and keep up the good work, and just kind words. So thank you for that, and also receive that from clients. So really appreciate all of you who I know are listening to this as well. So let's hop right into the S&P 500. And how you should start thinking about this in relation to the overall portfolio. So where I always like to start, as you guys know, is take that step back. Some people say, okay, immediately, what should I be invested in? And we have to take a step back or else we're just not doing proper planning, which is, what is the goal? Is the goal to invest in the S&P 500 to grow your money so you can buy a home? Is the goal, hey, I just want to make sure I never run out of money. So is that the best type of investment? Is the goal, hey, eventually I want to buy real estate. So is this a good place to park my money in the meantime? I don't like what. Cash is right now because of what i 'm getting, so should I do ibot eyeball- so there 's so much to this that it quickly becomes overwhelming, and so I want to de overwhelm don 't even know if that 's a word to be honest with you, but the reason I am saying that is because I want you to think about this very simply and to understand it, we have to go back to some statistics so the statistics I like to show i 'm very very specific, I'll say, on the specifics I like to share, because sometimes I feel people get too deep into the numbers, and then we lose the whole point of why we're looking into this. So what I want to share is when it comes to the S&P 500, there was a study done. And since 2000, Dimensional Fund Advisors found that of all of the stock funds that were actively managed, and all that means actively managed is someone, a manager, is saying, hey, I'm going to pick this stock, and I hope they outperform, and they There's someone actively managing that fund. Well, of those, 41% of them stayed in business and 59% of them are no longer in business. Only 17% of the funds that stayed in business outperformed the benchmark. Well, why is that important? The funds that did outperform they don't have very long track records. So that helps forecast performance over the next three, five, 10 years. And the reason I think it's helpful to understand this before we hop right into the S&P 500 and specifically your portfolio and how you should be invested is if there was data that showed that there was a fund that could consistently outperform the market, beat the S&P 500, I would be the first person to say it is well worth paying that fee. However, History has shown that not only is paying an active manager not worth it, but that that fund doesn't even outperform the index. So, it's we're paying a higher fee and we're not getting performance for it. Why on earth would we do this? So, this is one thing I want you to at least understand before we go into the S&P 500, is sometimes you'll hear, should I, you know, pay an active manager to try to beat the market? Well, historically, it's just been proven not to work. And the the very simple example I like to share with that is when it comes to, hey, should I not even only hire an advisor, but just hire anyone in your life? It's a simple question. Does the value that we're receiving greatly outweigh the fee that's being charged? And so there's so many ways to digest this. One other example is hedge funds. Now a hedge fund, they often outperform the market, but they charge 2% for assets under management and 20% of the profits that they make. So it really makes it difficult to both beat an index after the fees have been taken into consideration. So now that we have some background information, let's hop right into the S&P 500. And here's what I want you to start thinking about. The S&P 500, the total return over the past decade, about 267%, not looking at this year, with an average return of 13% per year, very strong. Now, if the S&P 500, the 500 biggest companies in the U.S., if they were to return that every single year consistently, well, you'd be in an incredible spot to capture the performance and reach all of your goals and beyond. You you would say, oh my gosh, this is so easy. Well, the example that I share is let's assume that you put a million dollars into the S&P 500, and let's say you did that in 2010. Okay, let's just say that for an example. And you didn't touch your money. You didn't contribute another dollar. You didn't touch it. Nothing. Well, it would be worth $2.6 million, and the historical average of the S&P 500 is 10%, although the past decade, it was 13%, once again, not counting this year. So if over the past 10 years, the S&P 500 received 10% per year on average, why wouldn't we just own that? Well, I would argue you should. However, the reason is, is because the S&P 500— it performed really well this past decade, but it doesn't mean it will do that going forward. In fact, and this is the example I bring up with clients, and if you're a client hearing this, I apologize, I know you've heard this a few times. If you, this is the first time you're gonna hear this example, I hope this illustrates perspective. If you looked at the S&P 500 10 years prior, So not 2010 to 2000, call it 20, but from 2000 to 2010, the S&P 500 did incredibly poorly. So in fact, if you had looked at the S&P 500 index and you had put a million dollars in 2000 and you didn't even look at your account, you didn't change anything, and you logged back in 10 years later. 2010. Your million dollars. You would think, hey, I should be rewarded. I waited ten years, and you know I was a good investor, and I went through ups and downs in the financial crisis. And how did I do? Well, you logged back in. Your million dollars was worth nine hundred and ten thousand dollars. And I'm not saying that um, as if it's a typo. It is not a typo. Nine hundred. You literally lost money. That is a loss of nine percent over the course of a decade. All while, let's not forget, inflation is going up. So I don't tell you this to worry you. I tell you this because the S&P 500 can be a wonderful investment if we knew it would get 10% plus every year, but we don't. That is really the the core of behind why diversification works. If the S&P 500 did really well every year, it would be very easy. But there are some years where it doesn't do as well, and there's other years where it does really well. So how do we build a portfolio that captures great performance? as often as possible we do that by owning different parts of the market and the s&p 500 sounds like it's diversifying but it's actually a very small portion of the equity part of your portfolio so if you tried and i never advise clients to do this if you tried to time the market and guess when the s&p 500 would be up or down You would be attempting to, one, actively manage your portfolio, which as a reminder, which is why I brought it up, on average underperforms in index, and it would take a significant portion of your time. And once again, your best investment is you it's you. It's truly what you're doing. And best investment, yes, financially, because you might make more money and you're going up in your career. Um, But also just in life, your best investment is how can you do more of what it is you want to do? I'm going to guess it's not by trading your portfolio every day. How do you ensure that you are well diversified? Well, once again, if you invested in the S&P 500 from 2000 to 2010, you experienced poor performance. Once again, 1.3%, a negative. 1.3% was your average return, a really not fun return. However, if at that same time from 2000 to 2010, and I know sometimes on podcasts it's hard to follow because of just numbers, sometimes it's like, hey, hard to follow Ari. And I've got a few messages of that. That is why I created YouTube. So if you're going, hey, I want to follow along a little bit differently and I want to see you explain these things, I'm on YouTube as well in the description. But let's not get too off track, Ari. So once again, going back to the diversification, however, If you also owned, not just the S&P 500, but international, emerging markets, value, real estate, bonds, and you diversified, you actually did much better than if you only owned the S&P 500 index. So it's very important to understand that when you truly build a well, well well-built out portfolio, it's not just by owning one part of the market. The S&P 500 index tracks the 505, to be technical, largest companies in the U.S. So you are diversified within the U.S., but without emerging markets, without real estate, without bonds, and so many other things, you're missing proper diversification. So let's get now into how this actually impacts you. What should you do with your portfolio? Well, the S&P 500 index, it's great. And it should be, in my opinion, a large piece of your portfolio because of how historically Well, it's performed, but depending on your goals, more often than not, you're going to want to include other asset classes like real estate, not real estate in the sense that you're owning it outright, which of course you can do. Of course, that can supplement your portfolio, but owning passive real estate. emerging markets, international funds, bonds, they can often play a role. It depends, of course, and bonds aren't performing well this year so far, but there's a time where it actually does make sense. Um a little bit too long for today's episode, but that's okay. We have plenty to come. Um that's going to give you proper diversification. So, all that to say, if you were a growth investor in the beginning of your career, you certainly may want the S&P 500 index in your portfolio. In fact, I would even argue you may be a growth investor if you're in your 50s and 60s listening to this going, all right, there's no way I'm a growth investor. I now need to preserve what I've built. And I would argue, absolutely, you need to preserve it. How do we best do that? Well, if you just were going to live five, 10 more years, I would say, yeah, let's preserve. Absolutely. It makes sense. But You've got 20, 30, 40 plus years of income we need to generate from your portfolio. You are a growth investor. And people will go, I never really thought about it that way. But the reality is you need your funds to grow for you to be able to not just never run out of money. Of course, you don't want to run out of money. But to be able to give more and travel more and and really spend more. But really, it's optimize. You work too hard for your money. That should be working equally in my opinion, even harder for you. So if you say, you know what, I just am uncomfortable with the ups and downs. Maybe the S&P 500 shouldn't be as large of a portion of your portfolio, but to some extent, it still provides great diversification. So all in all to say, owning the S&P 500, it's actually very important. And this is not one of those don't own it. It's yes, own it, but own it as a supplement, meaning own other asset classes, own real estate, emerging markets, international funds, they not just add diversification. It's not diversification that we do just for diversification sake, which in my opinion, a lot of advisors do it just to almost build a fancy portfolio. We do it because it adds performance over time. If you think about how you win in retirement, which really just means how you win in maximizing your wealth, the way you win is by not losing. It's not about hitting these home runs. It's about saying, hey, these companies, Apple, Netflix, Google, they've done incredibly well. And if we're just buying the S&P 500, great, we're buying these companies. But we're buying them at high prices. How can we get into these companies that become Apple and Netflix and Google? Well, we do so by owning small companies. We do so by owning mid-sized companies. We do so by owning other parts of the market that just aren't the S and P five hundred. Or else we're just truthfully missing out on so much growth. Which, once again. Not bad in the sense that it's going to hurt you, but I would say bad in the sense that you could be doing so much better by just investing a little bit more wisely. So not to be a downer. That's not the whole point of this episode. I really want to always keep this fun, but it's truly too important to not just harp on the fact that if you're an investor going, how should I be invested? The S&P 500 should certainly play a role, but not the entirety of the portfolio. It should be allocated to all of these different parts of the market to make sure you're getting all of the growth and also protecting you on the downside. You don't want to just be that person who had a million dollars and they waited 10 years, then 10 years later, they logged in and there was 910,000 and inflation is rising. Well, that's a really not fun time. And so how do you avoid that? You avoid it by not losing. Well, how do you not lose? You hit singles. You hit doubles. Um, Some of you, and once again, clients, I apologize. Um, I use this fishing analogy. If you're going to go fishing, you could absolutely go fishing and try to get that one big marlin, um, and it could be amazing. Or you could actually go fishing, and you catch nothing. And not only is it not fun, but your money not only didn't go up, you have nothing now. And your money went down so much to the point where you're like, was it even worth the risk trying to get that one big kahuna? versus why don't we just cast a wide net there's going to be some losers in there but there's the majority of them are going to be winners and that majority well that provides eight to ten percent on average plus over time when you're invested in a diversified way so i would argue even if it's the quote-unquote more boring approach that's how you win you win by not trying to time the market you win by not trying to guess what's that one big stock going to be what you can do if you say hey i really enjoy that own a small have you know truly and this sounds weird to many people but I'll advise it if you really enjoy that which not everyone does but if you do have a small part of your portfolio call it 3 to 5% at a maximum in companies that you go, hey, I'm really excited about this company. I think it could be really amazing. Great, own it. I'm not saying don't own it. I'm saying don't own it to the extent that it would derail you from actually accomplishing what it is you care about most. So everything we talked about today is the S&P 500. I truly say we talked about because these feel like conversations and the questions you submit allow me to come up with these ideas. So please keep submitting questions. That allows me to make these episodes for you. And that's why I love doing it. Once again, If this sounds like, hey, I would love help creating my own investment portfolio and understanding what are the tax implications of all this and what are the right accounts and how should I start thinking about when I can retire and when can I just know when I'm in a position? Like, even if you love what you're doing, great. Keep doing it. I'm not saying stop. I'm saying understand when you no longer need to. So there are so many aspects to retirement planning I You know, I'll say this on YouTube and I'll say it on here as well sometimes, but I'm the youngest planner who loves retirement planning specifically because let's say you have an amazing advisor and you can probably tell by now I don't like to get off topic, but I do get too excited about these things. So I'm not even talking about the S&P 500 right now. What I'm talking about is if you have an amazing advisor and you've had them for many years. The reality is if they've done a really good job, they are probably close to retiring themselves. So the reason that I am specifically working with people who want to retire early is I want to be with them for the rest of their lives. And it's not as if all of a sudden you you need someone. I actually don't think anyone needs an advisor. They don't need myself or another member of our team. But people don't reach out to us because they they want to do fine. They reach out because they want to optimize what it is they work so hard for. And that's what I love helping people do. So it's not, of course, it's cliche, but it's really not just about what you make. It's really what you keep. And how do you make sure you don't pay a dime more in taxes than you need to? And how do you make sure you understand, should I do Roth or pre-tax? Or how do I buy a home? And just all these thoughts that come up. So this is what I help people do. That was a long way of saying I help people create strategies to retire early. If this sounds like what you're looking for you'll see in the description that there's just a link to learn more about my process and how we think about this and really just what retirement planning means because it can feel really overwhelming to reach out and it's almost like hey I don't really know what to expect and I don't want to do a big commitment and that's why there's never a cost for the process it's going back to what I talked about earlier in the show it's our opportunity to show if we can you know provide value and if we can't totally fine. Let's learn that and understand, great, you're already doing a great job and you shouldn't change these things because you're killing it. And we'll be the first to say, amazing. So a lot today. I love the S&P 500 because it it's a great starting spot and I really love it because too many people would not go into thinking about investing and even worth listening to it because they just go, it's just, there's too much to it and they'll quickly write it off. And the S&P 500 is, is an easy introduction. I would just invite you to take it a little further. So that is it for today. Once again, please keep submitting the questions. Please share the show with friends. It continues to grow and I appreciate you doing that. So once again, thank you to everyone and I'll see you next Monday. Thank you for listening to another episode of the early retirement show. If you have a question that you want answered in a future episode, you can always go to my website earlyretirementpodcast.com. That's earlyretirementpodcast.com and you can go ahead and submit a question that I'll look to answer in a future episode. Thank you all for listening. Please do rate it, review it and share it with someone who you think would benefit from this information. If there's anyone out there that you know, I certainly appreciate it and I will see you all each week. Hey guys, it's me again. Please be smart about this. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as financial, tax, or legal advice. Consult with your tax preparer or financial advisor before taking any action. This podcast is for informational purposes only.